0: Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to take uh, one week out of our series in the Gospel of John as we look at what God has to say about uh, gifts and how important they are to the church. 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm going to be reading portions of that throughout uh, today. Now, in our Vision 2022 statement, uh, reflecting on our mission, which is our mission is uh, to help people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love him more, and serve him better. We expand on, on the idea of serving him better and here's, here's what we say. I'm going to uh, quote it to you, and you see part of it in the brochure as, as well. At uh, SAPC, at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, we believe that stewardship of self, time, and possessions is vital in every growing disciple's life. We seek to enfold people and encourage, educate, and challenge every member to be an active part of the church by using their time and talents for the glory of God. We have a vision for every member ministry, and we seek to guide each one into a gift-based, passion-driven role in the church in at least one of our major ministry areas and those areas are worship, teaching, and outreach. And then we say in such a role will be carried out joyfully and with excellence. We found out that uh, uh, if, if we, we try to just plug people in just to do that, that it's hard for them to carry out those ministries joyfully for any long period of time and with excellence. And so that's why the idea of giftedness is important. Now, I want to deal with some of uh, uh, those questions that for some of you may be holding you back in terms of uh, feeling the freedom to serve Here at St. Andrews. Let me give you some of the reasons that I hear, and notice I didn't say excuses. I believe that these are seen as real reasons by people when uh, they're, they're not serving. One would be time or busyness. I'm just too busy with other things to have the time to work here in the church also. I'd like to, but I just can't. My plate is just too full at this point. Some say, you know, I don't know where I'm needed. There's so many other people here. I'm not sure you really do need me to serve here at St. Andrews. Some have said... I don't know what I could do. And and some people, when they're saying that, are saying, you know what, I don't know what my gift is. I'm not really sure. Everybody around here seems so gifted and and talented and and so on. And I feel like I'm not gifted in anything. I don't have anything to offer here. And then there are some that will say, you know what, I've put in my time. It's time for some of the young folks to, to step up and, and do these things. And then for some, you may feel a lack of gratitude or encouragement. I've done things in the past and, and no one seems to be grateful or, or even bother to thank me for them. Now, You may have your own reasons. Maybe it it was roughly under one of these categories. Maybe not. But we're going to be looking at at a passage today that I think is going to deal with a lot of these very kinds of things where where some feel like they, they don't have the freedom for one reason or another to serve. So the first thing we need to understand is the gifts of the Spirit are essential for the health of the church. When I say gifts of the Spirit, that those are the gifts that God has given to us as individuals within the church, within the body of Christ. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 12, the first few verses. This is the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to people who are in a church in Corinth. He says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want you to see here is uh, that, that first phrase. I do not want you uh, to be uninformed. You English teachers or English, uh, those that, that think in terms of grammar, you're saying... That's a double negative. Well, it is a double negative. And you could say that to me, but let's remember this is the Apostle Paul. And God told him to say it that way, okay? <laughs> so don't worry about the rules of grammar here. But I think it's actually that way for, uh, for emphasis. So what it's saying is I, I really want you to be informed about this. Now, you might say, so, okay, I get that, but here's why I wanted to point out that phrase, because he uses that phrase in another place in his writings. Let me read it to you, and I want you to think about what's the subject of, that he's talking about here. In the one I just read, it's about gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Here he's talking about the second coming of Christ. He's talking about believers who have died and gone on to be with the Lord, and and that subject that should be Uh, uh, such a priority in the life of every believer in terms of comfort for this life and for the next. And he uses that same phrase. I don't want you to be uninformed. He's saying, this is really important. So now back up again to 1 Corinthians when he says that. I hope you can see how the gifts of the Spirit are essential. He's talking to people in Corinth who not long before this, again, his words, were pagans and worshipped idols. And I know that that might sound offensive to us, but they would have agreed with that. They would have said, yeah, I I was a pagan and I worshipped idols. That's who I was before Christ. So he's just simply reminding, re- reminding them that following the true God and following Christ is different than the way you were before. Most of you, before you came to Christ, weren't literally worshiping idols. But let's face it, in the world we live in, most that do good and do good things. Everyone has a motive. And for many, if not most, the motive turns around on themselves. Now you might say, no, I, I know people that are totally un unselfish. I get it. I do too. But how often have you heard? If somebody is pinned down, why do you, why do you give toward that? Uh, these are people outside of Christ. Or why do, you, why do you volunteer your time in this and so on? How often do we hear, because it makes me feel good? Now, I'm not against feeling good, okay? That's not a negative thing. In fact, I think we should feel good when we serve. But that mustn't be our motive. From a Christian perspective, that's what's different. It doesn't turn around and become about me and how I feel. If we are really going to be serving in the name of Christ, that won't be our motive. So this passage goes on. And shows us that God gives all kinds of gifts to the church. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everything. Now he is about to illustrate all of this from the human body. Something that, that everyone that has a body, well, that's everyone, can understand, right? And he's going to, he's going to say, this is our illustration, you, and you, you will get this. But I want us to, to think about this in terms of the varieties of gifts and how Im- important that is to the church. I was in a, a car dealership, and, uh, you know, that's, I don't know. When you go to the car dealership, to uh, get your car repaired. I don't know if any of you look forward to that. I don't look forward to that. No offense to to anyone that's in in that business, but I was in this car dealership, and uh, I was in there for a good while. It was a well-run dealership. In that dealership, there were those that welcomed me. There was someone that asked me what the problem was, there were mechanics, there were salespeople, there were accounting people, there was the young lady who made coffee and popcorn, that's right, eight o'clock in the morning, popcorn. There was a, a one who put movies on. One time I saw two and a half movies, if that tells you anything. <laughs> But here's the thing, and, and I, you know what? I left a satisfied customer. But as I, as I look at that, if it hadn't been for all of those people, I might not have left a satisfied customer. Well, that, that's just a, a very small picture of, of what the church is, is to be in terms of Uh, everyone doing that which they are called to do everyone doing that which they are, are, are good at and it may not seem significant if you just pull it out and you think about it all by itself but it's when all of them are working together that we see how God has designed it and so God has given a variety of gifts but here's where it hits home Let's get personal. You, if you're in Christ, you have at least one gift, and it is to be used. That's what he says, the last part of verse 6. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 7 To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then it lists a number of gifts, and then down in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If you, if you look in a, another part of the New Testament, First Peter 4.10, that's reflected here in the brochure, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied gifts. So, so what all these are saying, again, is that, that everyone has at least one gift, and if you have a gift, it is to be used. This is where I think some Christians get stuck. What can I do? You may be tempted to say, I don't have any gifts. Well, the problem with that is if you're, if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, then the Scripture says, yes, you do. You're contradicting Scripture if you say, I have zero gifts. I'm the one in the universe that he forgot to give a gift to. That's not the case. Okay, you say, maybe I have a gift. How do I know what it is? Well, I want you to hang in there. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But let's move on to other principles in this passage. And what I want to do is just read a couple sections because it's so clear from how he put it. And and here's what we're going to see is that I need you in terms of gifts and you need me. And you all need one another. Starting with verse 12, here's what it says. For just as the body is one and many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So there it talks about the unity of the body. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. See, this sounds ridiculous when you think about body parts talking to one another. But that's his point. That's exactly his point, is that, That we say things like that, we just don't say, well, I'm not an ear or I'm not an eye. We might say, well, I'm not good at teaching, so I can't, or I'm not good in front of people, so, you know, we we have our own way of saying it. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? And then down in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. By the way, all all you need is a problem with one of those parts of the body. And looking around, I think everybody in here has a problem with at least one part of, of the body. That's all you need, though, isn't it? And you realize how important that is? You might have never thought about that in your whole life until it hurts, and then you go, wow, I, I took that for granted. That's what he's saying. Verse 22, on, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, stow the, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has, catch this, so composed the body In other words, he's the one that's put it together. Giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And you all are so good at that. When somebody's suffering, to to gather around them. I hear this. Every time I go to the hospital, every time somebody has a loss and is grieving, how amazing this body is to reach out to them. You see the interdependence here? John Perkins uh, uh, from the Voice of Calvary in Mississippi said this, the last individual thing that happened in your life is when God's Spirit takes you individually from death into life and joins you to Christ. That's the last thing that's individual about you in terms of him working, then you're immediately incorporated into a body of believers that transcends time and space. So what he's saying is that when you, when you come to Christ, when you're adopted into his family, you become a part of the family that, that goes clear around the world, and I've met believers in various parts of the world, and we have an immediate connection because of Christ. But it goes through time as well. We have a connection with those who have gone before us, and and those who come after us will have a connection with us. Here's the point. If you use your gift, no matter what it is, you will contribute to the unity of the body of Christ. If you don't use your gift, it will hurt the body of Christ. And I I don't think for a moment that most of you want to hurt the body of Christ. But if God has led you here to St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, there is something he wants you to do here. The next thing we see here is that God specifically designed your gift, especially for you. Verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members... So he composes the body, he's arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Edmund Clowney um, likened it to a beautiful stained glass window, which we don't have stained glass windows here, but you've been in churches somewhere with a stained glass window, and if you get up real close you might not be able to tell what it is. It's, you know, maybe little pieces uh, and, and it doesn't look like much. But then you back up and you see all of those little pieces together and you see a beautiful picture. And then if the sun's on the other side, you see it shining through. And Clowney's saying, that, that's what God did with the body of Christ. He took all of us little broken pieces pieces of something and he's arranged it to where it becomes beautiful and a good thing where he can shine through us. That's his idea. In verse 24, it talks about God composing the body. Do you ever find yourself envying somebody else's gift if you do, it's okay. I do too. It's kind of our nature. We tend to see somebody else who's, who's gifted and we, and we might envy that. But this passage, it helps me, it can be an antidote for if you're feeling envy toward other people's gifts because the idea is that I have every gift God wanted me to have. And you have every gift he wanted you to have. And so when I envy somebody else's, then I'm, I'm showing that I'm not content with the way God arranged it. I'm implying that somehow I know better. God, your, your kingdom would be more advanced if you had given me that gift And we know how ridiculous that sounds when you say it out loud. So that's the idea here. I want you to think about uh, Jesus in John 13. We're not there yet. We're going to be in 9 next week, John 9. But in John 13, Jesus had only hours to live. Only hours to live because he would then go and he would die on the cross for the sins of his people. What do you do when you have only hours to live? Now, most of us don't know when that is, but he did. He literally knew exactly when that would be. You know what he chose to spend part of that time doing? Washing, washing dirty feet. He taught, yes. Yes. But he showed them. And then when he washed the feet of his disciples, he said, I want you to do that too. Not just that one task. He was, he was saying, serve. That was his priority. So what's holding me back from my freedom to serve? Well, I hope that the reasons we mentioned earlier just simply pale in the face of what Jesus did. But let's look at him again quickly. I'm I'm too busy. Time and busyness. My plate's too full. Aren't you glad? Jesus didn't say that. Is your plate fuller than Jesus was? but he had time to serve because he made serving his priority and he said, you should do the same thing. Well, I don't know where I'm, I'm needed. There's so many other people here. It's easy. I'll tell you. <laughs> if you don't know where you're needed, it's because you didn't ask the right person. And it's not just, I, I may not know exactly, But we've got an amazing staff and an amazing leadership in this church, elders and deacons. And if you talk to them, you will find a place to serve. There are always places. You know, we've got places in our 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 children's ministry. You know what the number one qualification to serve in our children's ministry is? Number one? You can't hate children, okay? That's not the only qualification. And you know what? If, if you say, well, I don't really hate them, but I don't really, anyway, I'm, I don't know that. I Well, there's plenty of places where the children are not there. I don't know what I could do. Some are saying, I don't know what my gift is. Or maybe you you thought, before I told you everybody's got at least one gift, maybe you you thought that you didn't have a gift. Now, this may not surprise you, but I've got a theory about this. Um, I think sometimes we make discovering our gifts way too hard. Uh, There are all kinds of gift surveys. We can give you a gift survey if you want it. Some of those have dozens, some of them have hundreds of questions to discover your gift. That's one way to do it. Those can be helpful if you want to go that route. But here's another way to look at it. How do I know what my gift is? If you see a need and you can fulfill it, it's likely God has gifted you in that area. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Why isn't anybody doing this? You see a need and you can fulfill it. That's the simplest. Now, it's possible that you might go and do that and you may not be gifted in that. That's where the body of Christ comes in and will either confirm that that's an area of giftedness or you will find that it's not necessarily and so you... You try something else. But don't overcomplicate this. You know, back in the Apostle Paul's day, they didn't have gift surveys. They saw a need, they stepped in and fulfilled it. Some of you are holding babies in hospitals as volunteers. That's great. I want you to keep doing that, be out in the community. But you know what? God's given us a bunch of babies here, and we need babies held here, too. Some of you are, are great teachers. And some of our great teachers in the public and private school also teach here. But, but some say, I, you know, I teach all week. I don't know that I... Think about that. If you're, if you're a great teacher, why are you a great teacher? It's because God has given you that gift. Do, do you really want to say, I will only do it if I get paid for it? There are places. So 1 Peter indicates you have a gift. I hope I've demystified it for you. I, don't worry whether you have the gift. If you've tried something, you've hated every minute of it, if families have left the church because of your ministry there, <laughs> move to the next slot over. <laughs> but if you see a need and have a passion, desire, and ability to fulfill it, do so. And then further, I, I've put in my time. It's, it's time for some of the young folks to take over. When I, I, I want to make a confession here which always perks up the congregation when the pastor says, I want to make a confession. But when I was a young pastor, that used to anger me when somebody would say that. It doesn't anger me anymore, but it does make me sad. That's somebody who's just given up. There's something here for you. Now, now look, I know that there are, are physical things that may limit what you can no longer do. That's that's God's providence in your life. I understand that. But you know what? Right here under worship, the third thing says prayer warrior. Prayer warrior. If, if, if you can't do anything else, and I'm not saying that that's the last thing on the list. I'm just saying for some, there comes a point in their life where that's their number one gift. And boy, do we need those. Sign up for that. And we will try to keep you informed or put you in a slot where, where you can pray and use your willingness to do that in my previous church in terms of putting in our time I had a lady who was 80 when she went on her first mission trip this was no vacation this was a trip down the Amazon River first trip it was the year I left I had another lady that was struggling with Alzheimer's at 77. uh, And this lady was one that always came up to me and said, what can I do here at the church? And and I knew at that point she was, I I would encourage her to pray. She was struggling with Alzheimer's and and her son put her in a facility that could care for her in, in a better way. And her question to him was, what am I supposed to do? He told her to minister to others in there. That's how I want to go out. I want to go out saying, what, what can I do? What is it, Lord, that you're calling me to do? And then one final issue. I've done things in the past, no one seemed to be grateful or even bothered to thank me. I've heard some throughout my ministry say, Look, I've worked hard, nobody notices or thanks me. Now, I do think we should often thank those who serve. We try to do that here, and I think we should but if your motivation for serving is to be thanked or appreciated you haven't yet begun to serve because real serving in Christ is not about you and being thanked early in our ministry Connie and I decided we would never expect anyone ever to thank us. Now, don't get me wrong. All through our ministry, people have thanked us. But we determined we wouldn't expect it. We wouldn't expect anything from anyone else. We would just do what God uh, was leading us to do. And so, because we didn't expect it when somebody did thank us, it's something special. It's not, well, yeah, you ought to be thanking me. Do you see the difference there? Gordon McDonald said, you can tell whether you're becoming a servant by how you act when someone treats you like one. How are you going to react if somebody treats you like a servant? Leonard Bernstein, uh, the orchestra conductor, was once asked, what's the hardest instrument to play? Without a moment's hesitation, here was his answer. Second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists. But to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. But if no one plays second, we have no harmony. When everyone is most concerned, not about getting their own needs met, but about meeting the needs of others, there is a beautiful harmony that takes place. And I suspect it's not only a fragrant offering to God, but it's beautiful music in the Savior's ears. Let's pray about that. Lord, just like we shouldn't be motivated by wanting to feel good, we shouldn't be motivated by guilt either. But if, Lord, you you want us to use our gifts like you've said, will you help us to be discerning in that? And that's not for the glory of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. It's for the glory of the Savior who showed us what it means to serve. And He showed us all the way to the cross. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, Amen.